All right, we are live. Um, and if Emily pops in because she can't use the mute button, everyone say hello to Emily. <laughs> um, I'm really excited to be back on Higher Ed Live today. It's Tuesday, February 26th. It's one o'clock Eastern time, and this is an episode of Advancement Live. I'm your host, Ashley Budd. I'm a digital strategist and a designer based in sunny Saratoga Springs, New York. It's 19 degrees outside, but it has a uh, blue sky out there and the sun is working on warming us up. I'm here in my home office where I work for Cornell University as Director of Digital Strategy for Advancement. And on today's live broadcast, I'm speaking with a panel about the latest in online giving trends. Uh, we have a whole lot to cover, but first I have a few shout outs to the sponsors that make today's episode possible. Advancement Live is part of the Higher Ed Live Network. All of our episodes offer you direct access to the best and brightest minds in education. You can be a part of our live broadcast today uh, and share your own knowledge by participating in our discussion uh, through Twitter. So you can head over to Twitter, start tweeting, and use hashtag Higher Ed Live. I'll be following along and I'll um, be happy to share your questions with our panel. All of our episodes are free. They're accessible to you in the video archives at higheredlive.com, or you can take Higher Ed Live where you go um, with you on the road um, by subscribing to the podcast. You can get that podcast anywhere you get podcasts. Higher Ed Live is produced by M Stoner, a digital first agency committed to tailored solutions that drive real results. And today's episode is made possible by iModules. You can join iModules in Orlando this July for Sizzler. Uh, iModules clients, if you've ever been to Sizzler, you know that it's in Kansas City. Um, so uh, get excited. There's a new lo location. Uh, it's in Orlando this year. Um, you can stay in the air conditioning or you could head out into that summer sun uh, at Disney. Uh, the the Sizzler Conference, for those of you who aren't familiar, is the largest higher ed engagement conference where advancement professionals come together to connect and share and create. And you can learn more about that at imodules.com slash Sizzler. So I'm really excited for our panel of guests today. Uh, we have uh, with us from imodules, Mike Mirko Wiedenhorn, uh, and he is iModules strategic consultant. Hi, Mirko. Are you in Kansas City? Where are you today? I am actually in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. I work remotely as well for iModules. Cool. Just like you so. cool. So you're not that far from me. Well, all things considered. <laughs> Closer um, than Kansas City. Yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, also on the panel, we have Blake Piper, who's assistant director for program and initiatives for the annual for annual giving at Temple University. Uh, and Blake, hello. Hi everyone. I'm are, excited you down, to be here. are you down in Philly? Yes. Awesome. Um, do you live in the city? I live, yeah, I live in the city right on the outskirts. Um, so cool. Cool. All, all, all a little bit. Today. Yeah, I know. That's so funny. Um, I didn't realize it would be the Pennsylvania crew. Unless Emily is working somewhere remotely and exotic. Um, Emily Smeltz is the Interim Director of Development for the College of Health and Human Services at Indiana University of Pennsylvania. Hi, Emily. Hi, how are you? Good. Are you somewhere exotic today? I am regretfully not. I'm in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Excellent. 
Um, well, I'm really excited to talk about this topic. Um, online giving has become a big part of the work that I do. Uh, and it's a really interesting and challenging space for higher ed. And um, the trends seem to kind of be um, all over the place, in my opinion. We have things that we can count on and more recently things that we can't count on. So um, I'm really curious to hear your insights today. Um, and before we do that, I think it would be nice to get a little bit of background about the Temple alumni and the IUP alumni, um, just so that we have a little bit of context about what your alumni base is like and what your uh, annual giving programs might be looking like before we talk about what's trending or what's not. So um, Blake or Emily, do you want to start out just by giving me a little sense of what your alumni base looks like? Sure, I can go. Um, so at IUP, um, we are more, mostly undergrads, but we do have um, master's and PhD alumni as well. Um, we have about 120,000 solicitable alumni for um, fiscal year 19. And um, our alumni participation rate hovers right around the median for four-year publics. We're about 4.5%. Um, we are, our annual giving goal this year, um, is $1.6 million in, in terms of gifts. And, uh, so Temple University, um, we're a large public research, um, institution in Philadelphia. We have just over 300,000, um, solicitable alumni, um, our annual giving, our, we don't have a dollar goal. We're strictly, um, alumni participation rate, um, which hovers around seven. <laughs> uh, so um, it hovers around about 7%. Um, so our goal being um, 21,000 alumni donors this year. Um, we have we're, we have a very diverse alumni population. Um, we have 16 schools and colleges. So um, our alumni tend to engage with Temple in a lot of different ways. Um, and we also recently had a you know, increase in enrollment, which is giving us a lot of new younger alumni entering, which is, is great. Um, but it's also driving that denominator number up, making our participation rate a little harder. But, totally, um, totally. And that, is, that equation isn't something that um, a lot of people understand. And even some people on our boards of trustees don't always understand, right? Um, but it's great um, for this topic of, uh, you know, online fundraising, being that we're the young alumni number is going up. We're always looking for creative ways to engage them. So I'm excited to be here and talk a little bit about that. Awesome. Yeah, uh, we can have a lot of fun with young alumni strategies. So yeah, I'm also looking forward to getting into that with you. Um, and then Mirko, um, could you tell us just a little bit about the kinds of clients that you're serving um, across the board so we can have a sense of what insights you're bringing and where we can pick your brain? Sure, absolutely. So uh, at iModules, we work about with about 800 partners, um, primarily in North, North America, mostly in the U.S., but all higher education or mostly higher education institutions, and really across the board. Uh, we work with small liberal arts institutions all the way up to very large publics like Temple and larger. Uh, and I work a lot with schools on engagement scoring and giving strategies and those types of things. And prior to joining iModules, I worked in higher ed for oh, about 11 years in student affairs and then a lot of the time in alumni relations and annual giving as well. So I have that hat as well as uh, everything that I see that our schools are doing really well and that uh, excites us about uh, how they're communicating differently with constituents and really driving that gift. 
Awesome. Yeah. So Blake keyed us up with um, the young alumni support being on the rise. Um, and we'll get into some kind of some of those specific strategies, but I'm wondering if there are any other, you know, big tent trends that uh, Emily, you're seeing that we could also talk about today. Um, in terms of um, trends, I think in relation to online giving, I mean, we're definitely seeing an increase in our average gift and our direct mail or our um, e-solicitation program growing over time. Um, we try to make sure that we're touching base with people frequently um, in terms of messaging um, segmented out with stewardship communications as well as solicitations. Yeah, you slipped by saying direct mail. Um, and, and what you really meant was email because that's one of right. these trends, right? Like getting the asks into hands more frequently and through email. Um, email might not seem as in like a new strategy, but I think recently we've found that, you know, in our giving programs that we had a big opportunity to send more email um, than we had been. Um, and coming from, you know, a traditional print communication background where you have, you know, windows of time and lots of lead up planning and things that only drop a few times a year, um, adding the email channel really allows you to open up that communication more and more. Um, so um, yeah, let's get, we'll get more into email strategy in today's broadcast too. Um, I also want to point to uh, a report that Mirko shared with me from Case. Mirko, can you tell me a little bit more about this? Um, yeah, so I was just highlighting uh, the most recent VSC data as it relates to uh, support for higher education. And that came out I think a couple of weeks ago at this point, maybe early in February, uh, with their look back on fiscal 2018. Uh, and so that's all of the schools that participate in the Voluntary Support of Education Survey. Uh, and basically just some key components of, of findings. Uh, if you haven't seen it, total support for higher education was at $46.7 billion last year. You take a step back and think about that number. It's astronomical, right? Uh, the main message, though, is that was about 7% higher than the previous year, where it was around $44 billion. So we're seeing continued increases in support to higher ed. Now, that's not through our e-solicitation campaigns. Those are mostly your major gifts, obviously. But still, uh, the message is that higher ed is seeing continually more funds uh, dedicated to it. And I think a lot of it is schools are doing more and more to fundraise as well uh, and really push messaging and programming. And then of that number, uh, about 12 billion came from alumni. Uh, and obviously that's one of the key groups we're going to focus on in the broadcast today. And alumni is second only to foundation support. And that's been like that for the last uh, probably 10 plus years. Uh, so just taking a step back, I think it's sometimes helpful to look at those numbers and think about what it means for you and for what each of us does in the field to try to encourage more alumni support overall. Yeah. So if you are following along with us on Twitter, I just tweeted out and um, retweeted the link to that report. Uh, and I, the big takeaway here is this is a 46.7, almost $47 billion industry that we work in from a fundraising perspective. That is humongous. Um, and so lots of potential there. Um, you know, people people believe in this cause. Um, there's 
clearly willing to give to it. Um, and uh, what I'm really excited about is, uh, you know, talking about what communication strategies we can start using to pull more and more of these donors to our to our institutions so 46.7 billion dollars and 12 12 billion of that coming from our own alumni um so this isn't um you know it's not all big foundations that are dropping these gifts um, it's individual support too so that is a great great report to share um and uh, i think it's time we get into some of these tactics so um if maybe we could start with email communication strategy um and the importance of email communication um i you know it's not the shiniest new toy it's something that we've had <laughs> in our hands for a long time but i think we're all continuing to learn how to make email better um and so if we can talk a little bit about um what some what some of the work you're all doing at um why don't we start with emily um at iup i know you're getting into some really interesting um segmentation and personalization in your strategy um, yeah, we really try to um, personalize just about as many things as we can, keeping in mind you have to, um, I think it's always important to caution to be really careful with your data. Um, it's really great to put a first name field in there, but if you're, some of your alumni, maybe they have in your database, their first name is just like a C period then if you just use first name token, then it, it makes you, it, it kind of has the opposite effect of trying to have like know them really well. It's actually like, wow, they, you know. So um, I think that's really important to um, note. And a lot of times the way we handled that at IEP, um, we, it just, I mean, it was more segments, but if you kind of go through your data and make sure that if you are gonna use something like a first name field or a graduation year token or something like that, that you um, are sure that you have that data and those all get segmented out one way. And then the rest of the people that don't, you just have a different segment that maybe doesn't have that first name token or that grad year token in there. Um, and I think that, that that's been something that's been um, really helpful to us because I think it helps to increase our open rates. Um, Another thing that we really try to do is capitalize on all of our channels when we use email. So like email standalone, I don't think is, um, a, is the most effective way to solicit. I mean, you really have to be sure that it's following kind of the multi-channel philosophy. At least that's the way we always did things um, when I was in annual giving. So, um, you know, you if we have a um, email, for example, that goes out, it's gonna have um, the same photos and like we might have the subject line be one of the lines of text from a direct mail piece. And then we have the same photo um, come, it, that accompanies the email as well. And then in social, um, you know, we work with our marketing communications team at IEP to help create like short little videos or, um, photos with the, the same thing that is contained all across. And then we just use, we time that so that you're um, just making sure that you're getting the most bang for your buck. Cause it's a lot of work to develop all that content for every time you reach out to someone. So um, you might as well leverage it as, as in, in many, in many places as you can. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. Um, the, I think where I see the multi-channel falling down often is with the social content um, that either there isn't a strong enough partnership 
with the person who's running social that they don't understand why a giving message should be on a social channel. Or it could be that the person's willing, but there's just not um, the relationship to sync up those workflows and to get the content to that person. So can you tell me a little bit about how you've been able to make those connections um, to get everything out on all three channels? Yeah, um, well, um, I think building relationships internally is huge. Um, so we ha I have a really good relationship with the staff that um, helps to facilitate that kind of communication. And um, we, it kind of was growing pains. I mean, at first I would try to write all the tweets and write all the Facebook posts. And I spent a lot of time doing that when really um, I, we found after a little bit of time that really needed to leverage her expertise because she was the one who knew how to write the best tweets. She was the one who knew how to um, communicate the messages in the best way that they would be read. And so, um, and under and read in a quick manner that you have to have on social. So we um, eventually over time, it just got to be, I would kind of say, here's the points I really want you to hit on if it was a giving day or if it was um, a donor um, giving Tuesday or a donor challenge day, or if it was just a general message like calendar year end. Um, here are the things I really want you to put, push, here are the links and the stories, and then she would come up with the content. We would actually do a Google Doc and kind of go back and forth, and, mm -hmm. um, and then she would um, schedule it out for me. So it was, it was and boosting too, um, boosting services. Um, she always was really attuned to, okay, you know, our social Facebook audience is really big at 7 p.m. on a Sunday night. So um, we're going to post your post at 7 p.m. on Sunday night and we're going to boost it. And so we built that into our budget so that we were able to um, make sure that, that we reached as many people as we could. Awesome. I love it. Blake, have you had similar strategies? Um, any other different kinds of personalization strategies? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I think we have had similar success and, and email is a really important tool when looking at that multi-channel approach. So obviously, you know, we're following up our main mailings with email and any campaign that we have online, email is going to be the main vehicle. Um, and then we always do want to follow with with social as well. Um, we've seen, you know, email is really valuable, I think, in that you can segment and get more personalized than you can with some of the other channels. Um, and I, you know, the open rates, I think, are the, the biggest thing because, um, you know, it's always a really fierce competition in someone's inbox, getting them to open that. So what we've, we've seen success with is trying to be as segmented as possible with the subject lines and signer names. Um, so who the email is actually coming from. I think what we see, you know, Temple University, Temple University Annual Giving, we're getting lower open rates if we're able to use a department chair, um, another student. Um, and it's worked well when we had really specific campaigns. Um, so whenever we're soliciting for some funds that are more restricted and we're able to talk about the school or college, or use a dean, use a faculty member, some, something that someone might have a relationship with. We've seen a lot of success with that um, as well. Great. Uh, I'd echo that too at IEP. We really um, have gone almost completely away from using office names at all. Even our when our um, alumni director sends out the newsletter, it's actually from her now versus from the Office of Alumni and Friends. So um, I think that that has, because people give to people, people have relationships with people in the offices. And so I think that's made a big difference for us too. Um, and we have also leveraged that. So it's been good. Cool. We have to 
did some research on this a couple of years ago, looking at from names specifically and the open rates tied to from names. And we categorized groups into office or institution as well as an individual from name. And what we found is right in line with what Emily and Blake have shared. Uh, emails with individual from names, even if it's John Smith, comma, alumni relations or whatever it is, is going to have generally a higher open rate than if it just says alumni relations. What I always like to tell people is think about how you consume your inbox, right? We're all recipients of, of email messages every day and a ton of email messages. So all of us are fighting for that space and fighting for that open. Uh, when I look at my inbox, I look first, I quickly zoom through subject line and I quickly look at from name. And if from name is from an organization, I don't spend as much time looking at it uh, because there's a visceral reaction to, oh, I can get to that letter later or whatever, or unless it's really an organization I care deeply about. If it's a person's name, I'm going to spend maybe a millisecond more looking at that and seeing whether it's something I want to open, right? So those are the types of tricks and things that you want to be thinking about uh, as you develop your uh, from name and subject lines for email. Because if they don't open the email, they can't convert, right? So the first key to me is always getting the open. And then it's looking at your content and thinking about, okay, how do I get them to convert? Yeah, that's I, you're echoing my habits. Exactly. So uh, I. I agree with you there. Um, we did a little bit of email research um, at Cornell recently and uh, almost not conflicting feedback, but just uh, an interesting note um, was that uh, our readers liked that it was very clear that the email was coming from Cornell, but <laughs> they're also more likely to open something with a person's name in the from name and with their own name in the subject line. We're finding those are opening more and more. So trying to find a nice balance of a personal sender in that from name and somewhere, whether it's in their title quickly after, so it makes it in that they're from Cornell or it's somewhere in the subject line that this is a message from or about Cornell. Um, it, it's the, trying to come up with that nice balance and mix. So I thought I would add that note. Um, yeah, and actually, that's a great point. Just to circle back on that briefly is uh, you don't want to trick people either, right? I mean, the, the challenge I think we have in higher ed in a way is we have a set constituency. We're not a brand that can buy 500,000 more email addresses. We only have X number of graduates of our institution who we can think about soliciting. So if they feel tricked by something because you don't include the institution name or you use a subject line that has nothing to do with the email content just to get them to open it, that there's a disjoint there and they'll remember that and are less likely to respond in the future. So yeah, definitely make sure they realize it's from the institution in some way to Ashley. We found that uh, in terms of what Ashley said, we found that as well. And uh, the first name in the subject line is a great tool, but again, don't overuse it. Uh, you can't put that in every single email that you send to somebody because then it becomes the norm and then they don't respond to it anymore. So there are all types of things like that to consider as well. But yeah, definitely be looking at your data and seeing what your data can tell you. Cool. Thank you. Um, so I want to switch gears a little bit into um, crowdfunding and days of giving. Mirko, I'm going to start with you because I know iModules has put a lot of thought into giving days and kind of focusing the whole um, the whole company and really uh, I'm thinking about how iModules is going to use giving day technology and those kinds of things. So I would like to hear from you first about where you think these trends are at. Absolutely. So I mean, I think the, the thing we can definitely say around days of giving is they continue to grow. 
both in number and in scope. I think we would all agree with that. Pretty much every school that we work with at this point now does some type of giving day. It might just be a small presence on Giving Tuesday, but in most cases, it's a it's either a larger effort on Giving Tuesday or it's a separate day of the year, which is a standalone day of giving to really push the importance of philanthropy to the institution. And more importantly, create that gamification and that competitive aspect uh, to get more people engaged. We, talk, we talked about the importance of recent alumni and recent graduates. That's the population that's going to be more likely to respond to that competitive aspect. So uh, yeah, Ashley, to your point, we spent a lot of time um, reworking our, our giving tools to add functionality as it relates to gamification. Uh, so there's a, a map that fills in when somebody gives that's US or world. Uh, there are leaderboards in the platform, all kinds of other elements. Um, we have social tracking so that you can see who shared that they made a gift or for that matter, registered for an event. And then in the data, you can understand what their network is. So who registered because of that share? Uh, and you get a better understanding of how people are linked together. So even looking at data to that degree uh, is something that uh, we're promoting and, and wanting people to do because at your next giving day, you can then look at who chose to share that and recruit them to be volunteers in advance of that day. You have more data. And I think so much of what we do is about getting more data and making sure that we can use that data. There's no point capturing data for no purpose but you want to think about what data to capture and then, okay, well, how can you use that to adjust strategy and communications for the next time around? I'm curious, um, Emily or Blake, do you have a giving day coming up or did you do one recently? Um, yeah, so at, at Temple, we actually, um, so we leverage Giving Tuesday in November. Um, so we have an effort around that. And then we also have, we call it Temple Toast um, in the spring. So that's coming up. It'll be April 25th. Um, it's a part of our of our Global Days of Service initiative, which is a, a week-long volunteer um, outreach for alumni. Um, but the Thursday of that week is our online giving day. Um, so we've this will be our, the fifth year that we've done this. Um, and we do, like Mirka mentioned, we do a lot of the gamification. Um, it's based around challenges for the schools and colleges. So the, the top schools to increase their participation rate will each win additional funds to their annual funds. So it's great to get that competition going and it really does skew. We get a good portion of young alumni donors. Mm -hmm. uh, what's really great is we get a lot of first time donors who have never given to the university. Um, so we wanna figure out, try to figure out um, a long-term strategy to keep them um, coming back, but it's great to be able to acquire new donors using um, you know, these online giving tools. Absolutely. What about you, Emily? Uh, same, uh, very similar to IEP, we um, have leveraged the Giving Tuesday um, in November um, the last couple of years. Um, we've had a donor challenge um, for several years now, a, a giving day um, in the spring. Um, I believe it's just about um, a month from now. And um, so what we typically do is um, the annual giving office will secure um, a lead donor, and then we do kind of the challenge, the whole gamification thing. Um, one thing that I think we, we really um, had luck with last year, we, had, we actually um, had an internally built page and we used a social media aggregator. So to, to iModule's credit with the things that they're doing to try to increase that social media presence, um, and, the, and integrating it into the day, into the website and everything like that, that was really, um, we had more engagement and more impressions with our challenge um, and having specific challenges and contests around social media activity. Um, so we would say, that, you know, 
um, on Twitter, tweet or on Instagram, take a picture with something that's IUP in your house or something like that. And then we pick someone or um, tweet out why you supported the giving day today. And then we would pick someone and, and those that really, really um, went a long way in increasing our engagement last year, for sure. Awesome. Yeah. Um, similar. I'm in a similar boat too with Cornell. Uh, we don't do as much in Giving Tuesday. Um, we're using that with crowdfunding, which I think we'll talk a little bit about too. Um, but we uh, we do have Giving Day coming up on March 14th. And so it's going to go public with our marketing on Thursday this week. <laughs> and if we can rewind and talk about segmentation for a second, we have five staff members reviewing 550 emails today. <laughs> um, it's going to be personal. <laughs> uh, but that's like that's what it takes to pull off a giant day of giving with uh, uh, at a large campus with many colleges and units and have all of the email communication going through one central platform on giving day. Everyone uses iModules. Um, and so we're looking at every single one of those emails. Well, I'm not because I'm here with you, but five staff members are looking through 550 emails today to make sure that nothing is glaringly wrong or broken. Um, so giving days are a huge effort. I couldn't agree more about the social challenges. Um, that's something that we do at Cornell too. Um, and we do give prize money um, to, you know, the winners get to pick an annual fund for us um, where um, challenge money is awarded to. And I think that's a great way to, to tell people that they can participate too, just by spreading the word. Even if they don't make a gift, they can help the university by raising awareness. I think that's such a cool thing. And then the other thing that the challenges do and all the visualizations that Mirko was talking about do is it gives you something to talk about all day long. <laughs> because if you are running a day of giving and no one can see what's happening during that day of giving, if they are just offering a form for people to make gifts, it's real like it, it's really hard to say that all day long <laughs> without being able to point to the number of gifts that are coming in in real time um, and different challenges that you can talk about during the day. I know last year we did hourly challenges to really hit home <laughs> um, different parts of the day without make sure that we'd have things to talk about. Um, um, we're doing something different with leaderboard structures this year. So um, it's a lot of fun, uh, but it is, it's a big lift, no doubt. Um, so um, similar to the um, giving day events where yes, we're bringing in a lot of new donors, which is awesome. And it it's definitely appeals to the young alumni audience. Um, I wanna talk a little bit about crowdfunding because you know the mechanics are really similar. It's just rather than a 24 hour event, these are usually stretched out. What's the average now, Mirko, like 30 days? Yeah, I'd say 30 days is the typical. Some schools go longer than that, but to your point, it's hard to promote it for longer than 30 days. Even if it's student groups that are promoting it, you just lose some of the, the focus and energy around it. Yeah, and that sense of urgency too is important with online because um, if you don't get them <laughs> hooked right there when, they're, uh, when they've got the giving form at their fingertips, um, you might lose them and, and, then, and then it's all over. So um, Blake, can you tell me about Owl Crowd, the yes. crowdfunding platform? 
Um, yeah, so we're the Temple Owls. So um, our crowdfunding platform is Owl Crowd. Um, so we have three campaigns throughout the year um, and they are either 30 or 45 days. Um, and it's interesting that um, we talked about what's effective being 30 days. Um, the, the campaign that we run for 30 days, I haven't, we haven't crunched the numbers or anything, but it looks like it's, it's, the results are just as good as the 45 day um, campaign. So the longer time may not necessarily contribute to success. Um, but so we accept um, applications from student groups, faculty members, uh, staff who have um, these crowdfunding type projects where they need, generally the average amount is $5,000, um, see some a little higher and lower. Um, so then we, we feature six, six projects each campaign um, three times a year, like I mentioned. Um, and we, you know, the, the main responsibility on promoting these gifts is, or promoting these uh, campaigns is through the actual student group or the faculty members that are involved. Um, but they're usually very specific, tangible projects. So we're getting, the average gift is a little lower. We're seeing um, a lot of new donors coming in because they feel like they can give very specifically um, and their money goes right towards that. So they, they feel like their $5, $10 gift actually can can make an impact. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of success of it translating to social and then the emails that we're sending were able to be super segmented. You know, it could come down, a project could be related just to one department. So we're able to really reach out to those folks who have an affinity for that specific department and may not want to give to any other general annual fund. So that's where we've seen a lot of success bringing in those new donors um, and getting, you know, hyper segmented uh, with our solicitations during the campaigns. Um, and then obviously um, the peer-to-peer -peer outreach helps uh, bring in new donors as well, whereas people are being asked by a student they went to class with or a faculty member. Definitely, yeah. Um, and sometimes those people can be harder to retain, right? Because they're doing it for the person who did the personal outreach. Um, but other times it's just a, a great way to highlight a cause that they might you know, genuinely care about um, that they didn't know existed because a lot of these funds are tiny little things that would uh, that would never surface on a pledge card. Uh, yeah. The uh, yeah, the retention rates definitely are lower than what we generally see. However, um, oftentimes if we have a, a project that kind of is similar, it may also be related to sustainability, for example, then now we kind of have data knowing that our alumni, you know, care about these causes. So we're able to reach back out to them for a similar cause. And we actually see a lot of the first time donors will only then give to other outcrowd projects. So it's kind of, they have an opportunity for that crowdfunding campaign. Right, right, which that's participation. So we'll take it, right? Yeah, um, yeah I'm, I'm curious about a couple of things now. Um, one thing I wanted to note was um, the students that are actually doing the fundraising. Uh, we started tracking those students uh, th from our crowdfunding program. And uh, when we have other fundraising events like Giving Day, um, we'll go back to those people and see if they're willing to do the peer-to-peer -peer outreach because they've already done it before and hopefully we're successful ones. Um, so um, that's one way where we're trying to like stretch the ROI of crowdfunding <laughs> to, um, to get those people active as fundraising volunteers. Um, and then the other thing, it was actually more of a question for you, Blake, um, was about the dollar amounts um, for these um, campaigns. So $5,000 for a crowdfunding cam campaign seems to be a really achievable goal um, for the projects that I see come through our desks. Um, but often we get like much bigger goals <laughs> that are harder to reach. So I'm curious if anyone has um, 
has put caps on crowdfunding projects or um, you know, we often try to do a calculation with how big the team is versus how much we'll let them have a goal for. So I'm just curious if, if anyone has feedback on that. So we, we wouldn't, we won't specifically cap, but like we don't have an official cap or anything like that. Um, but yeah, like you said, like it, we look at, well, what's the potential network that they'll be able to reach outreach? How hard are they really going to push this? How, how many students or how many is the whole department involved? So we'll take that into account and definitely we've had higher goals that have been fully funded. Um, I think our, the largest we've seen, I think was $25,000. Um, what we often recommend when someone comes in with a lofty goal is we say, hey, is there a way that we can help you attain part of what you're trying to do or still get there, have that more attainable goal and then hopefully we'll reach it and then we can do like a stretch goal to get higher because people do tend to get really excited about that. Um, I think donors want to be a part of something successful. So the worst thing we want is, you know, a super high goal. People aren't donating because they think, oh, you know, I'm not going to help them get close. But when we have that stretch goal and someone says, you know, I'm helping them hit that additional goal, this has already been successful. We see um, some momentum coming through that. So. Cool. And on that note, I think so much goes back to relationships that you have and also just realizing that you're the experts when it comes to this. So I talk about this a lot when it comes to email communications. Uh, because you all are the experts when it comes to emailing alumni or communicating with alumni, right? Uh, it's not the professor from XYZ college who knows how to communicate with alumni. So uh, this is similar when it comes to crowdfunding. You guys do this day in and day out. Uh, when somebody comes with a project, they really have no clue about scope or what works or anything like that. They just want their project funded. So use it as an opportunity to have that conversation about, Hey, we, we've done this for X number of rounds of crowdfunding now. Here are the trends that we see. Here's what we see works. Here's why we have concerns about this high dollar value. So to Blake's point, maybe um, resetting that goal a little bit and then talking about a stretch goal if they reach that. Because what we want to do is achieve the goal. You don't want donors to feel like they supported something that wasn't in their eyes successful because it didn't meet the goal. Now, we all know that doesn't mean it's successful or not, but it's all donor perception. But so just take a step back and realize that when you're in your role, you're the experts on campus for what you do when it comes to alumni communications or alumni fundraising or whatever it is, and take advantage of that to really start educating or continue educating the campus around what you've seen that's been beneficial. Thanks for that ego boost. We needed that. <laughs> I will say no one has ever disagreed or really pushed back when we've suggested maybe starting with a more. Uh, oh, really? So. See, I think uh, more often the groups that are coming to us are really counting on this money. And if they don't have, you know, if they don't get $25,000, maybe they don't go on their trip. And um, and so I've started to think about what are the relationships that um, we might have with leadership gift prospects that could fill in a $5,000 gift to get the project the rest of the way. Um, so yeah, they do push back on us. <laughs> um, a couple more uh, topics that I want to cover because it um, we wouldn't be online giving and uh, trends conversation if we didn't talk a little bit about student giving, and if we didn't talk about the impact of mobile. Um, I don't know if there are any ways to weave those two topics together. Um, but um, Mirko, I'm wondering if you could uh, help introduce the student philanthropy topic by um, telling us a little bit of what you've been seeing from clients at iModules. 
Sure. So actually, let me take a stab at weaving them together. Uh, so there are th some stats on um, platform usage by type of device. And when you look at the 18 to uh, specifically 24 categories, so those are your students, three quarters of their digital media time is spent on smartphones. Three quarters of digital media time on smartphones. Think about that for a second. So if anything that you do is not mobile oriented, you're missing the mark with them, right? Uh, and that's the last thing you want to do because this is, these are your up and coming donors and a lot of them will uh, give while they're students as well. So I think that's that's one way the, this all links together and, and why mobile is important for students and for recent alumni. But then the other thing is all around the uh, education about philanthropy as well. And I think pretty much everybody is doing that now to some degree, which is great. Uh, and education is a core component, but then also don't forget to uh, think about including and involving your students in giving throughout their time on campus, not just with senior class gift, uh, but when you have a day of giving, make sure you have a very uh, vocal presence on campus, uh, throw up a tent, give something away in the student center, whatever it is, because that also is a way to educate students about philanthropy, um, yeah. even if they are making a small gift or they're writing thank you notes or whatever it is. And down the road, that's going to help um, retain them as donors or get them used to the idea of supporting the institution. And I'll oh, stop there so we can hear some examples from um, the other. Definitely, that's great. And yeah, I can't agree more with the, for the giving days that are coming up, having an on-campus presence, not that you have to ask students for gifts there, but just having a presence on your giving day so they know that it's happening is huge. We did our uh, we did our first on-campus event last year and were blown away by the number of student donors that came out um, without a heavy solicitation asked to them. Um, Emily, um, what about at IUP? What are some of the um, some of the ways you're trying to draw students into philanthropy? Uh, well, we have um, been working the last several years. We have a philanthropy day on campus every year just to raise mm -hmm. awareness for student for in general and the impact it has on um, our students' experience. Um, they write thank you notes to first-time donors. Um, and so we've been doing that for quite a while. We had the traditional senior class gift program, um, but we were really building towards um, kind of building a class-based giving program. So freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. So um, we started that off kind of baby steps two years ago, but then last year we really went full force and um, we had a park that was being um, an area on campus that was being um, constructed to be an outdoor recreation area. And so we had a donor who agreed to give um, $10,000 towards the park if we had 100 freshmen, 100 sophomores, 100 juniors, and 100 seniors make a gift. And um, seniors we knew was going to be no trouble because we usually have 450, 500 senior donors through our senior class gift program. But um, the freshmen, sophomores, and juniors were going to be a little bit more of a challenge. So the way that we structured it, we um, started things off in the fall and we actually kicked it off on Giving Tuesday. And we did um, a solicitation program where we would um, reach out a couple times a month via email. We had tabling, we did have on-campus events um, and the whole thing culminated on our Giving Day. So that was kind of the deadline of when, um, when they needed to reach their number of gifts. We encouraged $5 for freshmen, 10 sophomore, 15 juniors, and then um, seniors to give a gift commemorating their graduation year. So it was $20.18 or more um, for last year, which I think is a pretty standard um, method. 
Um, we did a lot of it online through iModules. We um, had campaign progress indicators for um, each class year. So we had a landing page where we had talked about our donor and we talked, we had a conceptual um, drawing of the park that was going to be created. And then we had thermometers um, for each one of the grad years to show the progress to 100 donors in each. Um, and so we ended the year last year with um, nearly 1,000 student donors, which was a huge increase from what we had had prior years. We met the match. and um, But we did a lot of it via um, iModules email as well. So um, it it all it, it all worked out really well. We're doing it again this year. Um, we this year though we have our same donor who's willing to match, but because we got our um, we got our participation last year, we're working to upgrade the gift amounts a little bit because we did have some students that would give a dollar. So you know you didn't want th that's great and it's participation absolutely, and it helped us to get those hundred for each class year. Um, but for this year, we're supporting a, um, a student food pantry. And um, so the um, donor will match the, will he'll actually double the gift of $5 or more. So um, that was our way of trying to increase the average gift um, for the project. And it's gone well so far and it's structured the same way that it's going to culminate again on our giving day. That is really cool. And I like the suggested dollar amounts for class year. Um, and it makes sense even working back from the, you know, 20, 2020, and, and going backwards down to $5. So that that's especially cool. The math works out. Um, thing that we did too, just real quick, we mm -hmm. um, we used a lot of peer-to-peer -peer solicitation with our, um, when we leveraged our student phone-a-thon callers, because we figured that no one else was really, from a peer-to-peer -peer standpoint, as well-equipped to overcome objections <laughs> and yep. to to talk about different things. So they, they brought in a lot of gifts themselves, and we did some special incentives for them if they... Um, depending upon how many gifts they brought in. Cool. Well, um, with just a few more minutes left, I'm curious if any of those students, or if you're hearing feedback from alumni too, um, were asking about mobile payment options, because we have heard all of them. <laughs> um, so uh, Mirko, can you tell me what like kind of the general state of mobile payments is right now? What um, enhancements are pretty uh, generally available? And then what other things are kind of floating out there in um, the future future? Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, I think mobile payments is, is an important element and you are hearing about it primarily from students and to a degree recent grads. So one of the things that we launched recently was PayPal integration uh, and that also supports Venmo on mobile. Uh, now Venmo is a little bit different in terms of the concept of Venmo because Venmo usually is to send money to an individual. In this case, it's completing a donation form and then paying via Venmo. So uh, it worked for some people. It doesn't work for everybody, but that's part of just how Venmo works in general. Uh, it's not a one-to-one -one with mobile giving, uh, but we're seeing a lot of use of PayPal. And I know um, IUP has implemented PayPal on their forms, PayPal slash Venmo. Um, when I look at stats, I'm seeing between 15 and 20% of gifts are now coming in through the PayPal option. Wow. Uh, can't speak yet to how many of those are new gifts compared to or new donors uh, because it's a little bit early. But so that's one key element. And then we are looking at uh, digital wallets later on this year, so both Apple Pay and Google Pay. Uh, so that's something we're really excited about. And again, it's because there's a need there. We see the, the data on mobile usage, like I quoted earlier. So anything that we can do to make giving easier for any part of the population is something that we focus on. 
so yeah, in terms of what's on what's coming out from us, look for that later this year uh, in terms of Google Pay and Apple Pay. Very cool. Um, Blake or Emily, anything different that you're doing with mobile for strategies? We um, we've actually recently instituted um, like a text messaging platform. Um, so I know there's like text to give. Um, this is a little bit different. This is actually outbound text messaging um, where we're able to, we, we've used it mostly just for giving days right now, but we also use it to, for event follow-up. Um, we work with the alumni relations team to um, invite folks to events and then also follow up with the event after, afterwards with the text. Um, but for giving, um, you know, we can just direct them right to a campaign page or a giving form. And um, we've been able to use young alumni volunteers. So it has that peer-to-peer -peer aspect as well. And it's, um, you know, we're still kind of evaluating and it. it's it's very new technology for us, but um, it's it's been a pretty great tool for us to use so far. Awesome. Anything else to share? Well, I do just want to jump in on text to give for a second. And, and cool. like, I think you touched on this, but uh, if you're looking at text to give, you really want to think about the entire constituent experience with text to give. So you do want to do event follow up. You want to get out some kind of engagement oriented text communications, or it comes from peers, uh, right? Volunteers rather than coming from the office, because if they just get a, a text from you for the first time on day of giving. Uh, a couple of things are going to go through their heads, right? One, how did they get my cell phone information and why are they texting me about day of giving? So in some cases, it can actually have the adverse effect. So I just encourage you to really think through strategy as it relates to that. It's hugely beneficial, but again, you wanna have multiple touch points throughout the year for a text to give type platform, as opposed to only hitting them on, on day of giving or whatever other one, one point in the year where you're asking for a gift. Cool. Uh Mirko, you're hitting, we're doing a test with that right now at Cornell. And so you're setting me up perfectly um, to promote my newsletter that I've been writing where I'm adding all these little project insights into it. Um, but we've been doing since December. Um, it's not an A-B test, but it's a test of sorts. It's going to give us some anecdotal information where we've taken an audience of about 20,000 people who we consider our most, you know, um, our most likely donors or our lowest hanging fruit, if you will, <laughs> uh, for Giving Day. We've taken that 20,000 person group and we split them up in two. And half of them have been getting text messages from us since December. And the other half are gonna get their first text message from us on Giving Day. So, um, well, I'm really, ex I've been sharing the results of these campaigns as they go along and I'll certainly share what the whole end outcome is on Giving Day. Um, if you wanna sign up for my newsletter, um, you can go to my website, ashleybud.com, uh, and sign up there, and you'll hear all of these, uh, all of these things. I don't blog anymore; I just write letters. So, um, but you can subscribe or, and find out, and then unsubscribe if that's all you're interested in. <laughs> um, and you know, I just want to thank all of you again for a really good conversation today. Um, and thanks, as always, to our program sponsors, iModules and iMStoner. Um, this episode is going to stick in the archives, so please share it with a friend if you think they'd be interested in it. Share it with a colleague. Um, share it with your mom. Um, uh, and I hope to see you all on the next broadcast of Higher Ed Live. On Monday, we'll have Kristen Gowan from Union College talking about Instagram stories and how to uh, source user generated content for those. Um, so look forward to that one. Thanks, Blake and Emily and Mirko, the Pennsylvania crew. Hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. <laughs>